Today, we continue our sermon series called Turning Points. Our scripture lesson today is the story of a woman who has been ill for 12 years and is now healed. Listen for what causes the turning point from Mark chapter 4, chapter 5, beginning at verse 24. And a large crowd followed Jesus and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, If I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. May God bless this reading to our understanding. The popular author, podcast host, and speaker, Brene Brown, wrote the book, Daring Greatly. The book, she said, was written for parents who were raising teenagers or maybe for corporate CEOs seeking to build a culture of innovation in the corporate environment. But really, she said it was written for all of us who struggled to act with courage. Brene Brown begins the book by telling about a moment where she decided to be vulnerable. She was invited to give a TED Talk in Houston, Texas, her, her hometown. It was a regional TED Talk, and she wasn't quite sure what to talk about, but she decided, I'm going to go for it. I'm, I'm going to tell my story. And she said she remembers kind of feeling a panic when she saw on the slide that she had prepared for her talk, personal breakdown. But she told her own story, and she thought, you know, What's the worst thing that can happen? 500 people will hear this. Maybe a few more after the fact will stream it. But Brene Brown's story of her own breakdown, of her own vulnerable moment, became so popular that the TED Talk people called her and said, we're going to put this TED Talk on a national platform so that more people can hear it. And in fact, so many people heard it. It went viral. It was one of the all-time leading TED Talks ever watched and was translated into 36 different languages. So I was a bit nervous when I wanted to entitle today's sermon, Daring Greatly, because it seemed like that was Brene Brown's phrase. But then I pulled out that book that I had read when it first came out and realized Brene Brown didn't invent the phrase, Daring Greatly. She borrowed it from Theodore Roosevelt. In 1910, Theodore Roosevelt gave a speech at the Sorbonne in Paris. And the speech became famous, we couldn't call it viral back then, but it became famous because of this one paragraph where Roosevelt said that 
The real hero is not the critic who sits on the sideline. It is the person in the arena. Some people even called it the person in the arena speech. In the speech, Roosevelt lifts up those people who strive valiantly, who spend themselves on worthy causes, the ones who, at best, no triumph, but at worst, they fail. But he says, at least they fail while daring greatly. So I decided I didn't really mind borrowing the phrase from Brene Brown since she borrowed it from Theodore Roosevelt, but both Roosevelt and Brown use this phrase, daring greatly, to describe the action that I see unfolding in today's scripture lesson. The phrase acknowledges both on a personal level and on a communal level that often we find ourselves afraid. Sometimes we become passive, like spectators in our own lives. We sort of sit back, even in our lives of faith, and wait for God to work things all out. We're kind of afraid to put ourselves out there, to risk letting one's, someone else see us strive and fail, to dare to be vulnerable. When I read this story of a woman in the Gospel of Mark, a woman who has been sick with some kind of bleeding for 12 years, I see a woman who has run out of options. Perhaps she originally had financial resources in that day, probably only the wealthy could afford to see a physician, but now, according to the text, she has spent all that she has and she's still sick. In fact, she's even worse. She is like what the singer Janis Joplin sings about in that song, Me and Bobby McGee, Freedom's just another word for nothing left to lose, she sings. This woman who has suffered for 12 years, she's got nothing left to lose. So she takes a risk. She goes to this large, crowded gathering where she understands that Jesus will be passing through on his way to some very important engagement. And when Jesus passes through the crowd, she sneaks up behind him. She reaches out, she touches just the fringe of his cloak, and when she touches him, immediately the hemorrhage of blood that she has had for 12 years dries up and her disease is healed. Jesus turns around in that crowd. He says, who touched me? His disciples, they can't answer that. They say, what, what do you mean, who touched you? It's a huge crowd. There are lots of people jostling and bumping and touching but Jesus realizes that some kind of power has gone out from him. And so the woman steps forward, her voice trembling, her hand shaking. She falls down at the feet of Jesus, and she tells Jesus the whole truth. Now, Jesus could have rebuked her. Women are not supposed to touch men, especially not in public. And usually, if there is a healing moment in the scripture, it is because Jesus identifies someone who is blind or lame and goes to them initiating the healing. But this woman, a woman who is ritually impure, meaning contagious, you know, she's that woman coughing nonstop over in the corner and you want to say, put your mask on. She's contagious. Might she give him the disease that she's been carrying in her body for 12 years? 
I initially thought about this particular story from Mark's Gospel when Mike and I talked months ago about a sermon series on turning points. One of the reasons I thought of it is because it's a healing story. The woman is made well, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And so many of us can relate to those moments when our own health was miraculously through chemotherapy or surgery or physical therapy or psychotherapy when our health was made new and restored. But what really grabbed me about this particular healing story is that we have this powerless member of society, a ritually impure woman, a poor person, a person who the scripture doesn't even give a name, and she is the very one who dares to take initiative, to advocate for herself. I had a friend living in Chicago. She was always trying to meet someone to date and eventually marry. She would go out frequently to get involved in community activities. She would go to concerts. She would meet friends. She would go to restaurants. You know, whatever it took to meet people. She had a friend that lived in her building, and she would call her and say, there's a gathering, young people like us going. Would you like to go? She knew her friend also was looking for someone to date, looking for someone to build a life with. But her friend would say, nah, I think I'll just stay home. And she would say to her friend, you are never going to meet someone sitting inside your apartment. But it is hard to reach out. I remember a man here in Kansas City who was going through a painful divorce. He had just moved to Kansas City. He didn't really know anyone here, didn't have any friends. And he would talk each week to his brother on the telephone who was living on the East Coast. And his brother said to him one day, you know, you need to go to church. You need, you need some spiritual support. You need some friends. And so he started coming to this church. And he would sneak in just during the opening hymn and sit right back there on the back row where Corey is. And just before the service ended, during the final verse of the final hymn, he would slip out. His brother said to him after several weeks, well, how's the church? Have you met any people? And he said, no. He said, where do you sit? He said, on the back row. And he said, no, 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 no. Next week, you march down that center aisle. You sit on the front row. And he did. And that Sunday, some kind friends gathered around him, introduced themselves, invited him to their Sunday school class, and through that group of friends, he met the love of his life. They married and had a joyful time together. Why? Because he risked daring to walk down the aisle and sit up front. Maybe some of us are like that woman in the scripture. The woman who after 12 years, finally found the courage to reach out. Maybe some of us have to get to that point. I wonder, what is it that compels any of us to dare greatly? Why is it, I think about this often, coming into the building at noon or at 6, I wonder what compels some people in our community to walk in the back door of the church, walk up three flights of stairs, and walk into the AA meeting and turn their lives around while some of us stay in the same destructive patterns? Why do some folks, I think of this when I watch the news, why do some folks 
in, in Iran have the courage to stand up to the oppressive regimes and risk their lives while others go behind, lock the door, stay inside, keep their mouths shut. How is it that after these many months, the people of Ukraine stand strong and act with courage? How do single moms find the courage to advocate for their kids when they are a lone voice? And how do community leaders, some here in our own church, in our own city, find the courage not just to sit on the sidelines, but get in the arena and run for public office and make a difference to improve the lives of all Kansasidians. I remember a story that I read years ago about a little girl named Harriet. Harriet was born in the early 1800s. When she was only 11 years old, she wrote an essay at school and her teacher identified that she had the gift of writing. When she was a young woman, she got married to a college professor. They didn't have really enough to live on, but they raised seven children together, and Harriet's life was extremely busy. Both of her brothers worked as pastors, and both of her brothers became involved in the movement to abolish slavery. They would always come to their sister Harriet and, and say, Harriet, you have the gift of writing. You should help us. And she would say, oh, no, 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 no. I still have babies in the bed. I cannot help you. Maybe later I will help you one day. And one day, while her house was still full of children, she shoved aside all the housework. She let the laundry remain in the pile. She stayed up late into the night, sacrificing sleep and writing a story that she said mostly wrote itself. It just came to her. It was called Life Among the Lowly. In 1851, Harriet's story was published. Her story was so popular, it was so compelling, that it had to be reprinted dozens of times. It was staged into a play, and it is the book that many of us read in high school called Uncle Tom's Cabin by Harriet Beecher Stowe. Her daring greatly is credited by many with turning the tide of public opinion about the divisive topic of slavery. It was a leap of faith, both for Harriet Beecher Stowe and for the unnamed woman in scripture. Both of them chose to be vulnerable, to trust in something larger than themselves. But why? Why are we sometimes able to dare and other times we fail to muster any courage at all? When I look back over the times in my own life, and I see those moments when I dared to do something, I realized that all of those moments required daring. All of them felt scary because I realized I had something to lose. If I said this, I could lose a friendship. I could lose a good relationship with a friend, with a family member. If I did this, I might lose my job. I might feel humiliated or rejected or embarrassed. But I also realized, looking back on those moments, that when I dared, it really didn't feel like an option. I just had to. I just had to, to do it. There was no other way not to dare would be not to be real, not to be who I am, not to be the person God created me to be. It may have looked like daring to you if you had seen me 
but it was what I had to do. And I looked at you, and I saw you daring, and I wondered, how does he do that? James K.A. Smith, in his recent book, writes about the art of losing. He says, the art of losing, it is difficult for all of us. It is like an acrobatic feat on a tightrope. But when we practice this, feet on a tightrope, when we face that sometimes we will dare and fail, we practice all of this above the safety net of God. And I believe this is what happened to the woman who came to Jesus for healing. She discovered that daring greatly was worth it, not because she was healed, but because Jesus stopped. He looked her in the eye. He conversed with her. He listened to her. He did not admonish her for touching him. He did not criticize her for breaking the cultural norms. Instead, Jesus praises her. Jesus encourages her. Jesus engages her. He admires her. Daughter, he says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Jesus embraces the woman's vulnerability. But this is what Jesus does his entire life. He shows us that God takes a chance on humanity, on human beings, on the world. Jesus risks his own life to show us one thing, that God loves us. Jesus is God's vulnerability in the flesh. Jesus finally dies on a cross because no risk is too great for God to dare greatly.